we're back. Welcome to Deep Thinking, the only motorcycle road racing podcast that will point out that its 81st episode are also code words for referring, a code way of referring to the Hells Angels. You stole my thing. I I'm the one who calls the number. Okay, which number is it? It's 81, asshole. Yeah, and he's, and he's Ed Sorbo from Lindemann Engineering. You can find him on the web at le-suspension.com. He will make you 43 seconds a lap faster on a 45-second lap. Um, I'm Michael Gugis. You can find my writings and my photography on the web at motorbikeroadracing.blogspot.com. Ed Sorbo. Um, I mentioned Did you I was... know that at the Italian GP that a motorcycle went 230 miles an hour? Yeah. Ioni. Yeah, yeah. That's terrifying. Well, especially that guy going 230 miles an hour. Did you happen to watch the let's, Spanish GP? Let's talk, right? Let's play. Hey, let's talk about Iannone. How many, we, and we were talking about this before we got started um, uh, recording this particular episode. So we have two fundamental questions about Andrea Iannone. Number one, how can he keep making the same mistake over and over again. And number two, when's the last time somebody got fired mid-season? Just got booted off of a MotoGP team. Yeah, it's I mean, not good publicity for you Ducati hear, to be taken out the world champion. I mean, you hear about um, you hear about guys losing their rides because of lack of um, lack of funding. You know, what I'm thinking of a uh, few years, three years back, three or four years back. Whenever Sylvain Guintoli was world champion uh, at Aprilia. I think that was 2014. Um, he, two years prior, was on the Effenbert Liberty Ducati World Superbike team. They were about as stable as Justin Bieber on a three-day meth and beer binge, okay? <laughs> they were all, they were, I mean, and they fired him after he won a race on a satellite bike for lack of results, is what the press release said. That was pretty ballsy right there. Right, and we're reasonably sure that was a funding issue and it was a smokescreen. But, you know, we really are kind of wondering how much longer before, you know, somebody from Ducati's calling Suzuki going, you know, you guys want to start testing early with this guy? I don't know, man. I Oh, uh, how about this? What if Suzuki changes their mind? Right? You know, it's just, whew, God. Yeah, we checked with the board of directors. The budget can't deal with the Anoni. I mean, he committed to that pass on Lorenzo. I, for those of you who haven't seen it, if you watch the Spanish Grand Prix, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a air quotes, a pass attempt <laughs> that ends with Iannone and Lorenzo both on the ground. And uh, Iannone trying to apologize, and, and uh, Lorenzo not buying you, it. Iannone tried to apologize so long, the corner workers <laughs> were trying to tell him, hey, leave dude, the guy right? alone, he man. Doesn't, he don't want to hear this shit right not, now, right? Well, you can't apologize for that. Like, yeah, I mean, was, like one time, okay, you made a mistake, but this guy is not one right? time. And when he makes the move to the inside to start to try to make that pass, it's like... You're so oh, far boy. back. Yeah. Like, what are you even thinking? Yeah. You know, was... and at the very, 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 very end, he breaks hard enough to lift his rear wheel because now he finally sees that it's not going to work. Right. And it's too little too late. And what did he think? That Lorenzo wasn't going to turn in? Meanwhile, he was catching Lorenzo. Lorenzo was right. coming back to him at a rate where 
You just keep doing what you're doing, doing right? and you just motor by on a straightaway somewhere for no effort. Right. It, it was guaranteed you were going to pass the guy. The famous, the famous, Dumb. yeah, the famous Vic Elford line from the Porsche 917 days. The last thing I want to be doing with the guys is actually racing them. Yeah. Why am I going to get into outbreaking duels when I got 25 yeah, miles right? an hour? He's on, on a 230 mile an hour Ducati, right? exactly. and he wants to pass he somebody on the brakes. Somebody, what the hell? So speaking right? of big top speed numbers, oh, so they. Converted the track, you know, on Friday night, right? From a Yamaha track, more or less, to a Honda track, more or less, all mm -hmm. in one time segment. They added uh, one, two, three, four, four hairpins. Well, instead yeah, of basically a chicane, it, it, well, two. The inside of the big U-turn, right. which was a sweeping Yamaha turn. Okay. And then they shortened the right-hander, which is a sweeping Yamaha turn. They right. eliminated the right-hander, which is sweeping Yamaha turn. Okay. Okay. And it it made a a huge, it didn't totally take it away as a Yamaha track because the other three sections are still the same and Rossi did win. Right. Uh, and, and Lorenzo had some kind of problem probably with his tires, which yep. is why he was dropping back. Which is what we Otherwise, saw on the screen. Otherwise, it could have been a Yamaha 1-2. So, right. didn't completely change it. But on Friday, Honda struggled. And on Saturday, Honda was up there, right. you know, at the front. So, it was really interesting to see how little of a change physically can make a big difference. Yeah. But the top speed increased. Go ahead and tell them why. Ed. Okay, so the last corner onto the front straightaway, okay, which is going to be minute. what makes yeah, the wait. top speed number, you know, a big deal. Okay. Is a fast fourth gear downhill right-hander. Right. And you enter it just a little bit faster than the slowest point of the corner. So now you're adjusting your speed down a little bit and think about it's downhill, it's very fast. Right. This is challenging. There's a big penalty for a small, small mistake. mistake and okay. it's hard it's hard to set in those circumstances it's hard to set your apex speed at exactly its optimum exactly which then plays the most into lorenzo's hand right because he's the most precise All right. so now you're accelerating into this corner from a much lower speed right and from first gear instead of fourth right, right? and you're Accelerating through the whole corner, so right. this, as we all know that that's way easier now. Oh yeah, exactly. Right? Everybody right. can do that, and you're going up to the limit instead of coming down oh. to the limit, right. which meant that more people could fire it through that corner and get a better drive, right. and they got 5k faster on top end. And plus, there's nobody also, predicted that. There's also the gearing issue. You don't. They, they you did, don't know yes. how. I don't that, know what changes they made. Exactly. Besides that. You don't know where that fourth gear was yeah. in the old configuration you to know get through. the sealed hold on, engines hold on. hold on a second are they allowed to change the gearbox oh, yeah absolutely so that there's only the top end that's sealed and, you can and, take and the, the clutch cover yeah. out and the, and the yeah and the cassette so the um remember uh during the uh during the off season when nikki uh go nikki um uh, nikki hayden went to uh world superbike he was saying it's been a long time since i had to change a whole tooth on a sprocket um, you know, because that what he meant was, oh, I need one tooth changed on fourth gear, and, and that's right. what they exactly. would do. Yeah, because you know? those teams go to the track already knowing right. what gear ratio they're going to need and all the apps. Not like a club guy going to a track for the first time, right. and he's on Facebook, hey, who can tell me the gearing for an SV at, you know, right. whatever. Well, <laughs> and not only that, in World Superbike, um, one of the ways of cost reduction, more air quotes, is that they've uh, limited the number of gear ratios you can use. So you can't, you have to pick a set of gear ratios yep. at the beginning of the season, and that's all you get to run. You can change the countershaft and the rear sprocket, but you can't change anything inside the transmission. But in GP, um, you still can. So, um, and this was, this was something, uh, Ed, I bought a book. 
Um, <laughs> you, keep, you keep saying that, but I've never seen any of these books. I've, I've, the, um, that, this, this goes back, I think, to something that we'd mentioned before. Kinamoto, um, back in the days when he's working with Spencer, talks about Freddy's like, I can't get through this one corner very well. And Kinamoto says, yeah, but you're getting through these other four corners right. better than anybody That's else. It's the classic job of the crew chief. Right? You just control <laughs> of the emotional rider. We'll figure out how to get you through this slow one without touching the bike for the rest of them. So the point, of course, is that in the first configuration that they showed up at Catalonia um, on Friday, the gearboxes were set up to make the overall fastest lap, and that might not have put them in the optimal place to come out of that last corner. Whereas, you know, changing the configuration of the corners before that last corner now gives you a different set of gear. I, I mean, you know, who knows? Another thing that was interesting about that change, uh -huh. I watched the Moto3 guys go out. Okay. They were the first group the next day uh -huh. to run that. And uh, a number of them ran wide into the U-turn. Okay. And then in the, um, you know, the lead group and into the chicane, uh, two of them ran wide and one guy followed the old course. Like, he couldn't fucking remember from the previous corner that they well, changed you know, both of them. it's the start of the practice. You're and, all amped up. It is up. too early in the you morning know, for those they're, guys. They're 16 years so old. Then, so then they had the on-camera, on-bike camera of Lorenzo on the first lap mm -hmm. when he got to that section. On his first lap there. Yeah. And clearly he wasn't at full, full speed. Right. But he had a precise turning spot. He went directly to his knee. He went right to the apex, right to the run-out point, and back in the... Every single part of that whole section was done perfectly on his first attempt, except a little slower than what he would work up to. And that is the way to do it. And that's, you've heard me say this. Yes. You, ne you always do the correct line. Right. You add the speed later. You never practice the wrong thing. Never practice the wrong thing. And that was, that was a beautiful picture of, look, okay, granted that 120, the, the Moto3 guys are younger. Right, and they're gonna make more mistakes. And then the guy at the pinnacle of precision, demonstrating how to do it. It was fantastic. Okay, I got it was two neat things. Neat to have a different course in the middle. Yeah. Right. I mean, I hate the reason and all that stuff. Right. But it was neat. It was more to see for a guy like me to watch how I know I have an idea what problems they got to work through. Right. And to watch them do it, it was fun. So I got two things. Number one, I have a new favorite rider. Okay. He's a guy. He's a, he's a Japanese My kid. favorite writer is me, but we'll uh, see who Michael likes. Uh, it's not you. Um, the, it's, it's the Moto3, um, the Repsol CEV, the European Championship Series, the one okay. that used to be the Spanish National, and then they go to a couple extra countries, right? He's Japanese. He's riding Moto3, and the thing that makes him so wonderful is that he's big. This man, this, this, this kid has not missed a meal. And so everybody else lines up behind him trying to draft him. You know, he comes out of the corners and he's going to make up all his time on the brakes because he's, the, you know, the, the bikes are all basically the same. And God damn it, he's riding his ass off. And he won a race and I couldn't have been any freaking happier cool. for him. That was very cool. The other thing I was going to say. All that ground hugging weight, he's got extra yeah, exactly, traction. Exactly, right? It, 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 maybe it flexes the Michelin tire just it enough. Keeps to it loaded, <laughs> right? But if he's not on missions. Uh, you know what? My theory still holds yeah, okay. because it's my theory. When he's on MotoGP, he'll be ready. <laughs> yeah. By the way, folks, if you don't know where the ground hugging weight theory comes yeah, from. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So it's back in the 20s or 30s? I did 50s, 60s, sometime. Early, yeah. you know, cars, Last century. Past the Model T era. Last but, century. But cars that looked like the Bonnie and Clyde era of cars. <laughs> and the there was Fords and Chevys, and one handled better than the other. And the reason was because one had slightly better suspension chassis 
than the other. But that one, the better handling one, also happened to be heavier. And, we, and so people got the idea that it was the ground hugging weight that gave it right. more traction, that made it better in the corners. So they would put cement in parts of the car to try to well, make and, the other car heavier and of course just that, made it slower. Wasn't that part of the ad campaign too? With oh, more ground holding, that. you know, Jesus It could be. We, you know what? Just Didn't, be careful what you believe. Intelligence, intelligence. Critical thinking. All about uh, observing the right data. It's all about incorporating the right data into what you're thinking. If you, you can, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. If the geometry on your bike is wrong, changing the shock and changing the forks is not gonna help, you know? Um, it's all about the right data. Now, what was the other thing I was gonna talk about? Oh yeah, Ed, let's talk about time. Time is, linear time is an illusion. Time is just the way to make sure that everything doesn't happen all at once. Yes. Okay. So I want to talk about Jorge Lorenzo at Mugello. The, um, so that's the, the Italian GP. Yeah. The Italian GP, um, which we, you, you know, I were, were on the phone and we were chatting about this and yeah, I know sometimes it seems like the Jorge Lorenzo, uh, fan, uh, official fan club over here, but being doing Ed and I both race. Ed and I both have and have been in incredibly pressure, uh, you know, pressure-filled positions. I mean, you know, not to brag or anything, but I've chased presidents around, you know, for part of my job, and I've been, I've seen stuff that Can I wouldn't uh, mention. There is no point. Okay. I'm just pointing. I'm just talking about me. Yeah. Uh, me, Michael Gugis. Yes. Motorbikeroadracing.blogspot.com. Um, we were talking about uh, Mr. Lorenzo's cool under pressure, and it was at Mugello. He is barely holding on to the lead. Yep. We're not sure what exact, the bike is not 100%. The bike is not 100%. Um, it's in Italy. Valentino Rossi keeps trying to outbreak him at the end of the fastest straight where they're doing, I think, 347 miles an hour or something like 230. that. 230. Close to 230 miles an the hour. The Yamahas were not quite that fast. Yes, but it was quick. Yes. Right? And lap after lap, Lorenzo takes the outside line going, yep. knowing that's my... that he's going to break. Yep. He's and, carrying the most speed. Right. Yep. And, but it's that, that pressure. You, you can't help but see that glimpse of yellow out of the right side of your helmet. And you know he's coming because you can hear over the sound of a MotoGP bike, you can hear 100,000 people yelling and hoping that your bike explodes or your head explodes yep. or something. On, on the first, the end of the first lap into that turn, only Lorenzo of the front group mm -hmm. did the turn correctly. Yep. Everybody else ran wide and he went back underneath. So yes, there is the pressure, but then how do you feel when you are exiting the corner, you're going, I am the master. I those the, guys can't match me, right? Guys. So it can go both ways. Yeah, but you, I guess- So what, what was your point? Just the immense amount of cool under an immense yeah, amount but of you're, pressure. You're a, you're a race back. Yeah, Already. no, no. I'm a race ahead. That was why we went into this with the whole linear time thing. Oh, I see. Got okay, it. Got, got it. it. Got Stick it. with me, Ed. You'll go uh -huh. places. The um, the last bin. last year. Yeah, but you know, think of how fun it'll be. All, all my friends are there. Last year, at the end of the season, we talked about how um, Lorenzo knew that the best way to make sure that he was going to be world champion was to win that race from start to finish, and absolutely cut the perfect light. And went into the, you know, and, and then held off the best in the world for, for the entire race. You know, just their ability to do that is just amazing. Just amazing. And I just, like I said, it's fun to watch riders who are emotional. 
but I <laughs> but I appreciate the guy who can set his emotions aside. So as much as I love Lorenzo, I was always sad because he was shifting like a sissy. Oh, but God. I noticed this year he is now shifting GP. Yeah, and have you yeah. noticed that he's not won as many races this year? Uh, I've noticed that until this last race, he was leading the championship. Yes, well, interestingly for a while. now, he only led their championship for two races. The two of the top three. Yes. Two now have two zeros, and one has only one zero. Mister Consistency, and Mark Marquez, Marquez right? <laughs> It's hard to imagine that he's not going to get another zero this year. We might be the first people on the planet to It could be the, the championship one with the least total number of points of all time. You know, you know could be. Or um, Well, right. I mean, if you're running on a tire that keeps on being like, ah, no, nah, I'm not working today. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I worked I worked fine in turn three last time through. Yeah, but yeah why, I'm time, taking a break yeah, now. I'm taking a break now. You know, here you're good. Here you're good. Here you're on your head. I will, you know, honestly, we we're, were talking about this before. You know, the, the Honda is not nearly the dog that it was at the beginning of the season, Ed. They're, get, they're dialing it in. And this is, this is the part of the year. This is normally the part of the season where the Yamaha needs to make hay. Those European tracks where the, the, the bike, the, the cracks suit the, the bike. But that leads yeah, us into I, another I discussion. I think the tire inconsistency yeah. has changed all that to so much randomness. Yeah. You I, can no longer count on when they go, like when we get to Germany... Right. Watch, fucking Suzuki will win. Right, you know, or, like, right, because that's been uh, on the track like crazy. Or, or like, it'll be an Aprilia track. <laughs> yeah, the only place that has been consistent has been Coda, and where uh, it remains and a Mark Marquez Mark track. Marquez Not track. even a Honda track. Right. It's just, just a Mark just Marquez track. track. Yeah, and uh, and Phillip Island. Oh, how about yeah. Crutchlow? He got it turned around at Barcelona. Yeah, and there was a great scene. Yeah, go ahead. Where they. Crutchlow's wife is about to pop. She's like two weeks away. Really? And so maybe three. Okay. So she's sitting in a chair and she's got her hands on her belly and you can totally tell that she's pregnant. It's a very sweet picture. Crutchlow's on, on his on fastest the, lap. It's on the big screen. On and the big it, screen yeah, at the track. Crutchlow's on his fastest lap. And so the picture is on the big screen and Crutchlow sees this while he's on his fast lap. So he finishes the fast lap. He sits up after turn one and he starts making a rounded belly motion with his arm because he says, well, and of course they show that. Right. And then they cut to his wife who's all red faced and laughing. Ah, it's classic. That's unbelievable. Get a little bit of reality back into the, yeah. right? Because it's easy for us to get all tied up in this, how important it is and all that stuff. And really, this is just entertainment. It's, it's not. Well, you know, it, we're not feeding starving people. We're not producing world peace yeah you know we're we're fiddling over billions of a second to go in a circle you know what? and we're bitching about bullshit the dalai lama says be the change you want to see in the world by it, by by being the people that we are the people who like race bikes and the people who want to be at the racetrack and by doing that we make the world a better place yeah, absolutely but we you are know? also sniveling about guys going in circles you know well, we, yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. it in scale right oh yeah i'm granted you know? well <laughs> you know what dude Okay, there's there's a story. Okay, I learned this from my wife, the Buddhist monk. Okay, okay this is our two minute board. Go. No, I got another two minute board. Like, we're out of time. No, save no, it for next time. No, no, we're gonna do both. It's a very short story. Wait, a tidal wave, flood comes up, leaves a bunch of starfish on the beach. Young uh, young student of Buddhism goes out into the beach, starts picking up the starships of uh, starfish, and starts throwing them back into the ocean. Somebody comes up and says, "What you're doing doesn't matter." You're not going to be able to save all of them. He picks up the next one and says, it matters to this one. 
and mm-hmm. throws it into the ocean. Yep. Every time a racer goes to the racetrack, they make the world a better place. Yes, absolutely. Two minute board. Steve Rapp. Yes. Just wanted to. I just wanted to do a brief shout out for Steve. Um, we were at Buttonwillow a couple of weeks ago. He also holds the current world rec- uh, lap, lap record, record at, at Willow, Willow Springs. Springs. He was motivated, uh, and not to tell the whole story behind it, but um, the team had brought in the, the Vance and Hines Ducati they had a team. Special Michelin tire. No, no, yes. they brought in somebody else um, to ride um, for the team that, yes. that weekend, yes. and they gave him. They gave that guy one of Steve's bikes, yep. and as Steve puts it. I was a little motivated. He also had a special mission and, tire. Yeah, but it, they all did. And yeah. he just... Yeah. No, no. Not, not, not everybody was on Michelin's. His team was on Michelin's. So, so um, anyways... He was at Button Willow. Yes, and Steve, uh, two things about him. First off, he's in his 20th year being a professional motorcycle rotor racer. He's still racing with Moto America. That's 20 years of doing this. That's a guy who wants to do this. And he's not on a frontline team. He's not doing it because he's going to get rich. Okay, he's doing it because it's one of the, we were just talking about, he's making the world a better place because he wants to be a racer and he wants to ride. The other thing that was totally cool is that this is a guy normally who gets to ride other people's bikes. At Buttonwillow, he was out there on his street bike, or a bike that he bought with his own money from a street bike, converted it to track use. And by the way, for those of you who think you need a Magneti Morelli GP spec electronic system to make the bike work, it had a pipe and a jet kit, metaphorically, um, you know, uh, a a power commander, pipe and map, good suspension and good tires. And Steve went out there and just, and had a good time. It's just nice to see somebody who loves doing what they do, doing what they do. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Anything else? It's a weekend of awesomeness. Yeah, it was. He's Michael Gugis. He's Ed Sorbo. Aloha. Aloha.